Well, hello and welcome to another episode of EM Over Easy. Drew Tanner and Andy here with our special guest today, Anna Kalantari. Uh, she is a dynamic female in emergency medicine, is actively involved in many, many platforms, including Medjitopia, the Feminia movement, and with the ACOAP. Bringing her in today to talk about a, a topic that we kind of all um, have talked about in previous episodes, kind of, but she's going to do a deep dive for us on the idea of stress growth. So, Anna, thanks so much for coming on the on the. Program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I have I've never heard you talk about this subject before. Could you kind of give us just like what what is the basic concept idea of stress growth? The basic concept and idea is that it takes stress and hardships in our life in order for us to grow and get stronger from it. I have been doing some research in the realm of burnout, resilience, physician wellness. And resilience just didn't cut it for me. Because basically with resilience, you experience some kind of episode, you bend to it, you then get through it. And in the end, you're able to go back to your former self, which seemed like a waste to me. If you're going to go through an event and experience stressors from it, to go back to where you were at baseline it's such a waste of resources and energy. And I don't think it's an it accurately captures what it is that we go through. I don't think you go back to baseline. I think you get stronger. And that's where this concept of stress growth came from. So I really like this idea. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll nerd out for a little bit. My older brother is really, really big into swords. And he actually has a blacksmith. Swords. Yeah, swords. Yeah. Does he do medieval fighting he does not, he does not. <laughs> but, but, but he's a blacksmith who makes swords. And when, when I was reading over your outline, I really liked the basic fundamentals of, you know, things that we uh, consider are very strong, like steel or other metals. They actually kind of go through a refiner's fire, which is kind of another term you could use to kind of talk about the same thing, but the idea that they get stressed heavily before they're the strongest. Um, so I kind of like this idea of, of the idea of stress, low, stress growth and how we can apply it to, to residents and to physicians. Yeah, I think it's something that's really applicable to us and what we do. If you refer back to the 2015 Mayo Clinic Proceedings paper, EM wins first place for burnout in medical specialties. Mm -hmm. And I'm always looking for ways of combating this, right, or finding a solution to it. And And I admit, there's a lot of system issues in play that make life more challenging. And I don't know how much of that we can control on an individual level. I think a lot of those system issues that need to be improved are things that have to happen through organizations like ASEP, ACOEP, AAEM. For us on an individual scale, I'm always trying to look for different ways on how I can I guess, deal with these things, learn from these things and get through them in the most successful way possible. And that's kind of what made me put together this whole stress growth. So Drew basically asked the question is, is that um, when we talk about this idea of stress growth and we use the, you know, I choose the term refiner's fire, how do we apply that to learners from a teacher standpoint and then on an individual basis? So I, I think the three main concepts that one has to embrace in order to evolve to a stress growth place in life is first they have to work on their mindset. And that might actually be the biggest bang for your buck if you really wanted to focus on one. The next area would be to 
open yourself up to vulnerability. And the last area would be grit. Uh, the mindset one is the one where I'm the most interested in right now. There's a lot of work out there by Aaliyah Crum and Kelly McGonigal about stress and how we look at it and how we approach it. And they've done some really outstanding studies to demonstrate a lot of how you respond to stress is how you view stress. They're, they're connected and they're related. And if you change your view of stress, your response changes as well. And it's not as devastating and as detrimental as we may think. As far as our outlook on stress and why we think it's so bad, it's really not our fault. Uh, I blame it on Hans Salye, who was a physician in the 1930s who basically tortured rats and then looked at the response to this torture and called it stress. He literally would take rats and inject them with pureed cow spleen and uh, noticed that they would develop mm. ulcers and that their immune systems would be compromised and they would suffer some neuronal loss. And then he did that and compared it to placebo. He had some kind of saline solution and he noticed that uh, the rats with the placebo did the same exact thing. And he later was like, oh, well, this is stress. And then he took all of the information that he got from the rats and he applied it to human beings. And that is where the negative aspects of stress were born. So we've basically been taught since the 1930s that stress is bad. But if you look at Crum and McGonagall's work, they do a lot of educating about different stress responses and demonstrate that when people are educated about stress and stress response, they tend to embrace it more and they don't have a lot of these physiologic consequences of stress because they're managing it all better mentally. Interesting. So our negative connotations of stress have essentially come from a guy that was injecting rats with cow spleen and yeah. watching them suffer. And we have just applied that for generations to say, oh, stress is a bad thing as opposed to something that we could actually use to increase and improve yes, ourselves. That is, as human that beings. is correct. <laughs> it is crazy, right? And I mean, the fight or flight response that came from uh, uh, Cannon, Walter Cannon, who basically took dogs and cats and put them in a room together to fight. And he would measure their physiologic responses and their catecholamines. And that, that's where we got fight or flight. So a lot of people think stress equals fight or flight. And it might if you were in a room with another human being that wanted to kill you. But if it's not how we normally, like that's not how you respond to traffic. That's not how you respond to your kid smearing toothpaste all over the vanity like my kids did the other day. We have different degrees of stress <laughs> response. It's not all just fight or flight. And I think if you educate everybody about the different stress responses, they can kind of pick and choose how they want to respond to a situation. And that's kind of what all of this mindset deals with. So how does this apply to an individual, individual situation? So we have a learner in the emergency department, and there's a stressful situation, uh, a resuscitation doesn't go well, and they take that to heart and you can tell that this is a learning opportunity. So now how do we turn that stress? And I think this is the essence of what you're getting at and make that a true educational moment that they grow on and they become better on as opposed to 
really slinking into the corner and feeling like that moment was a failure. I think the first thing to do is to sit down with them and educate them about the different stress responses that exist. So you have your fight or flight that we talked about. There's also the challenge response and there's the tend and befriend response. Let them know these exist. Let them know what do they involve. Then sit down and ask them, how do you think you responded to this situation? What kind of stress response did you demonstrate? Ask them if there's one that they would like to respond with better. And then have them visualize how they would respond to the situation differently or with a different stress response of their preference. Have them then keep that in mind so the next time there is a resuscitation that doesn't go favorably well, how they can apply this new response to it and how they can learn from it. Feeling sad when a resuscitation does not go the way you were hoping is not bad. It's not abnormal. It's not unexpected. Dwelling on it for two weeks, not eating, having nightmares about it, those are detrimental. And that's where we need to teach our learners the different stress responses that exist and educate them on the fact that they can actually change how they respond to a resuscitation that does not go favorable. I love this concept. And and I think the way you kind of described it there really hits on the, you know, you have to have a mindset going in. And, and if you don't, you can then come back and, and start to develop that mindset once you recognize it. But then you're also really hitting on what you had kind of mentioned earlier, the vulnerability side of things, being open to exposing yourself to emotions and acknowledging that it's okay to have emotion, but approaching it in a way that is going to be beneficial to you as opposed to a destructive emotion. I I agree with you 100%. For whatever reason, we develop this culture in medicine of, you know, the good soldier. You kind of go in, you get the job done, and you feel nothing, and you move on. That is not sustainable to life, in my opinion. I think that's where you get PTSD, you get a lot of um, second victim syndromes, it's not good for our mental well-being. And I think we're slowly starting to change the culture to be a little bit more open to talking about how we feel in these certain situations. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to talk about it. Open yourself up and be willing to be a little bit vulnerable to kind of grab that friend and talk to them. Be a little bit vulnerable in stepping outside of your comfort zone. Maybe you're not comfortable showing emotion. Well, if you're having nightmares about something, maybe you need to show emotion. Maybe you need to step outside of your comfort zone and enter the world where there are some other options on dealing with things and different options of addressing your stress. We don't like to be vulnerable. We like to be tough. We like to perpetuate that good soldier mentality. And um, I think it's a huge mistake. And I think we're missing a lot by doing that. There's a lot of missed opportunities by maintaining that kind of mindset. A lot of ways you've nailed that difference between what you introduced is the concept of resilience, which is what traditionally emergency medicine has been about to now adding in there the ability to feel and grow from those episodes that you also have to be resilient to. I mean, traditionally resilience was 
you know, suck it up and move on and no break, you know, don't, don't worry about it. It just, you, you can't, you can't feel, you can't process. You just have to move on to the next patient, the next situation where you're introducing a concept where we're allowing feelings and, and growth to come out of being resilient, which is really where we need to go in medical education, especially these high stress scenarios that we find ourselves in, in the emergency department all the time. I mean, I agree. Look at look at the number of physician suicides. I can't help but wonder if those physicians felt that they were in an environment where they could open up and reach out and ask for help. Would the outcome have been a little bit different? I don't know. I, I have no idea whether it would be or it wouldn't be, but I can't imagine it would be any worse than them deciding they needed to end their life based on a certain situation. Yeah, and a lot of times as as physicians we're we're put into the captain of the ship type of a role and it kind of is hard to show this vulnerability or or change in uh interpretations of emotions without coming across as weak, but in reality it's not weakness, it's showing ex- you know true expression of emotions which allows other people to realize, "Hey, it's okay. It's okay to have messed up or not known something or done something incorrectly. Embrace it, grow from it." build on it. I agree. I think some of the best leaders are the ones that are willing to open up and be vulnerable. I feel very strongly about that. When you show your learners and demonstrate to them that it is okay to talk about these things and and feel through these things, I think it helps everyone else in the room. I agree 100% that the physician really is the captain of the ship, but the captain doesn't have to be stoic and emotionless. I think the captain can demonstrate outstanding leadership skill by taking a step back and acknowledging what just happened and acknowledging the feelings that are very real and being experienced by everyone who is involved in the scenario. To me, the the next part that that we're going to talk about is really kind of the next stage. And, you know, whenever somebody hears the word grit, I think sometimes people don't like that word. And I think it's mostly because they misunderstand what, what we actually mean by the word. How do you approach people? And talk to them about grit. Well, Andy, first of all, gritty and grit are two different things. If somebody's gritty, that's a bad thing. To have grit is a good thing. Let's just clear the <laughs> ear on on proper terminology. Proper, proper using the term. My, my apologies, Drew. My apologies. Grammar police. I don't know. Drew, uh, you, you know more about the actual words, I think, than I do, because I was not aware of that, <laughs> that distinction. <laughs> um, you know, I think when you mention the word grit to people, they think of, again, that good soldier and uh, tough as nails. That's not really what grit means. Grit means passion and perseverance. How passionate are you about something and how willing are you to pursue it when you have failed? And this is a this is a concept that I don't think most people realize they've probably experienced. I mean, think of just take a step back and think in your own lives, something that you've accomplished. You probably had to try really hard and you probably failed at a few attempts. I know I have, I am, I am the captain of third place. Like no matter how hard I try, I, if I get, you know, a medal at all. It's usually a bronze. I'm always third place. And it's usually after multiple attempts and multiple failures. And it's grit that captures that. It's your willingness to keep going after failures. And how willing are you to keep going 
after failures. I think a lot of us are scared of failure. And that probably goes back to, you know, childhood being praised for your really good grades, uh, being praised for how smart you are, being praised for how talented you are at a sport. Rarely are you praised for the effort that you put into achieving that success. And grit really embraces that effort more than the actual outcome of the effort. You know, right right now we're recording this and it's the middle of the Olympics. And if you watch any of those broadcasts, I feel like you see grit over and over and over. You see athletes that have failed multiple times or they've had injury or for whatever reason, they, they never got to the podium and then they have one final attempt and they have this amazing story and they end up, you know, placing or, or getting a medal. And, and those stories are so uplifting. I think that's why the Olympics are such a fun thing for a lot of people to watch because it's, it's literally example after example of the true awesomeness of grit. I agree wholeheartedly. I think the reason why we're all so enthralled with the Olympics is because behind every one of those athletes who just seems like they're dripping with nothing but talent is a story about the human being and all the effort and challenges and failures that that human being experienced in order to achieve their success. Look at Michael Jordan. He was cut from his high school basketball team. (laughs) I mean, he went on to being the third draft pick. What was it in the 1984 NBA draft? And lives in legend as one of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball players ever. He failed. And what did he do? He went, he just worked harder to achieve his success. And I, I think that's where the whole theory and heart of grit is. It's embracing the failures and continuing the efforts to achieve your success. And the reason I think grit is an important part of stress growth is because you're going to fail. You are absolutely going to fail. You're going to fail time and time again, and it is normal. And you should embrace those failures and take a step back and see what you can learn from those failures, make the changes that you need, and then try again. And it's with that repeated effort and that passion about whatever it is that you're trying to achieve that is going to keep driving you and keep you going. I think since Tanner brought in the Olympics, the real definition of grit to me was Maddie Mastro, the 17-year-old half-pipe snowboarder. I don't know if you guys watched this uh, a couple of days ago. She first first trick every time she went in, which was, I, you know, I can't even describe it. I'm not a snowboarder, but some <laughs> no, please, please try to describe quadruple this. spin in the air. And she same, came so close to landing it three times in a row. And the, the question was the third time she went out there, the last chance to actually land the trick and get a score because she essentially had no score the entire time as opposed to giving in, doing something easier and settling for some type of score that would put her maybe in the top five, the top seven. I mean, she went for it. She failed, but she went for it. And she had the the courage, the determination, and really what what really kind of in a lot of ways to me embodies grit to go out there and and do it again. And I have no doubt as a 17-year-old that we're going to see her as a 21-year-old doing the same thing and landing it because she's just going to use this moment on the international stage, which was truly massive failure, but use that and embody it and make yourself stronger. I mean, it, it's, it takes incredible courage and determination to do that, which is really what we're talking about here. And it's no different than what we do when we're performing in that high stress uh, resuscitation. Yeah, I agree situation. with you 100%. 
So, okay, to wrap this up and to really hone this in on how we're going to improve medical education using stress growth, what are your take-home points and us applying this to our learners in a stressful So for the educators, my take-home points are, one, you need to learn more about stress mindset. We couldn't really go into the details in the purpose of this today. But you yourself have to go and learn about it, and you need to educate your learners about the different stress responses that exist and allow them the opportunity to mentally work through what kind of responder they want to be. Two, you as the leader have to demonstrate vulnerability. You have to open up in those resuscitations that didn't go well and talk about how you feel and allow an opportunity for everyone else involved to talk about how they feel so you can slowly change the culture and allow for more vulnerability because that's where connections are made and that's where healing exists. And three, encourage failure. I'm not saying tell somebody to go in a room and not try their hardest and let a patient have a poor outcome, but set up an environment where there's not devastating fear of failure. Because in some of these instances, no matter how hard we try and no matter how good of an effort we put in, we're not going to have the outcome that we want. And we need to learn about those moments and learn how to address them so that the next time it happens, we can better handle the situation rather than falling apart and being afraid of that failure. That is awesome. I, like I, I absolutely love this concept talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's, this has been a great, uh, I think, intro to stress growth. And perhaps in the future, we'll get you on for some deep dives on those, those exact specifics. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is this is kind of like my new thing, I think. I'm just so pumped about this topic. I really am. Um, I can't remember the last time I've been this excited about something, so much to the point where I was that crazy person that actually emailed some of these PhDs about collaborating on research. <laughs> I've, I've heard nothing back, but, um, you know, <laughs> I'm giving it my best effort to try and and really jump into this because I really feel passionate that this might be the answer to some of our burnout struggles. You know, there's a lot of studies out there that talk about the prevalence of it, but there's not a whole lot that address the solutions. And I think this might be one of the answers. So thank you so much for having me. That's awesome. Thank you. For any of our listeners who are interested in this topic, please feel free to contact Anna on Twitter. As for the Eam Over Easy crew, if you like this topic and want to hear more discussions on similar ideas and concepts, please feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, we're on there. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Saying, wake up, you need to make money.